standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, the second in our Let's Talk About Death series running throughout July. That's right, we've teamed up with Macmillan again, going a bit more in depth into the topics around death that we touched on at the panel event Hannah and I did with them back in May. Our first Chops guest was the brilliant Poppy Mardell, founder and director of Poppy's Funerals, a modern-day funeral company aiming to revolutionise the funeral trade, and she was full of incredible insider knowledge that left me and Jen agog. That's right, I used the word agog. In this Chops, Hannah and I catch up with restaurateur, writer and blogger Simon Thompson, who just also happens to be a stage 4 cancer patient. We talked about how to talk about death, why it's important, the reactions of others, cancer and mental health, and how your perspective changes. Macmillan knows talking about death can be difficult, but having honest conversations and taking small but simple steps, such as, you know, writing a will, can help you and your family prepare emotionally, practically and financially. Macmillan Cancer Support offer a will writing service to help you take that first step in planning for the future, so you can get on with living life as fully as you can. Visit macmillan.org.uk today for information and support. And now, over to Saima. Hello, Mickey here. Hannah and I are joined by Saima Thompson, a restaurateur, writer, blogger. She just also happens to be a stage four cancer patient. Hi, Saima. Thanks for joining us. Hello, ladies. Thanks for having me. Hey. Well, having you back, because Hannah and I did the Macmillan Let's Talk About Death panel event where we chatted to you and we got to know you a little bit there and you very kindly said you'll come and talk a little bit more about what's going on. Let's just talk more about death, shall we? Just constantly. <laughs> just just all it. about death. <laughs> Lovely when it pops in my email. I was like, yeah, death. Let's do it. <laughs> always up for it. <laughs> you are always up for it, though. <laughs> I just like talking. <laughs> So could you tell us what having a life-changing prognosis taught you about attitudes towards death in our society and how we think and talk about it or don't think and talk about it? Due to my personal experience, obviously, I got this diagnosis about over a year ago. Yeah, people kind of think cancer equals death. And I thought that personally as well. So now I feel like a year on, I've come to understand living side by side with, you know, the Grim Reaper almost. <laughs> it's a strange, strange way to describe it. Um, I've learned a lot about people's, you know, how they feel about death and how awkward people can be. Like I felt yeah. really, yeah, I took it really badly. I had a lot of like post-traumatic stress from the kind of diagnosis. It's, it's terminal. It's, you know, stage four, end of the line kind of vibe. I took it so badly. So I was like, how is the next person going to take this news? But then I looked at attitudes and, you know, I had people walk away from me, you know, just out of sheer fear, as if they're going to catch cancer almost or catch death. <laughs> it's like... Wow, people you were close to. Yeah, people I knew, yeah, like genuinely. Because people, when you're, when you're in shock, you just don't know how you're going to react. You're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. if I got that devastating news, I'd be really cool. And, you know, I'd have something really profound to say. Actually, a lot of the time we don't know what to say. Because I think we just don't discuss death anyway like mm-hmm. and i'm not saying let's 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 all just talk about death all day long but it should there should be some more open dialogue around it because we're all going to die yeah and that, that's a, that's a matter of fact and you know we have to open it up and it's going to happen you know regardless of how you can you know death proof your life you just can't you can die in your own home like sorry to sorry guys that comes as a surprise to you. We're prepared for some downers. (laughs) (laughs) Your face is literally like, oh my God, you can die in your own home. Dying in my own home is is probably a high possibility for me. I trip over, I fall down things all the time. I'm I'm ready to just be at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah, Yeah. I've just moved house and it's got two flights of stairs and I am terrible on stairs, scared of stairs. So 
Yeah, maybe you've just touched a raw nerve for us too. We're like, that is actually how we're going to go. But it's yeah. funny how like we don't, you don't talk about it, but in your head, you're probably like, you've thought about it. Yeah. You're like, this can happen. But, you know, again, we don't have those open discussions. I think we're just really British and really like shy. Oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. We're all going to live forever. Don't talk about that. And, um, you know, it's like, well, what happens when someone really close dies you know you need to open up and have those conversations yeah so before your prognosis had there been any conversations with your family about death when you were growing up or just like day-to-day conversation had there been any chat about it at all I'm a British Pakistani so I was born in Kent and I'd say like my background generally um we generally do talk about death in our culture but I'd say due to being a second generation Pakistani I've kind of lost that so I've lost those those kind of strong-rooted, facing-up-to-death cultural ways. I always use this example. My grandfather, he died in 2017 in Pakistan. And, you know, it's from a village in the Punjab, uh, near the borders of Pakistan and India. And I was kind of watching things closely. So now we're all connected. So I was getting things sent on WhatsApp. Um, it's quite it's quite usual for them to send a picture of the body, which is... Okay. For that to come on your WhatsApp, you're like, what? I wasn't ready for that. But that's how they roll. They take pictures. Um, they're quite open with it. Like, the casket goes into the middle of the village. Everyone grieves really openly. People are hysterical, but they seem to be expressing their grief. And then there's a two-week mourning after. So the, the home is... The front door's open constantly. And everyone's allowed to come over and mourn and drink tea and just wail and let all their grief out. And I think that's actually quite a wonderful thing, whereas... I think over here in the UK, you tend to just, it's all, it's all done in one day and everyone just gets really drunk and that's it. And then the curtains close and, and then generally a lot of family members just won't talk about it again. That's pretty much how we deal with everything, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's just so British. So I've got these like almost, oh, I hate to use the word dual, but it's just two, two different influences. So mm-hmm. I've got this Western influence where all my peers and my friends and, you know, anyone else in my, in my normal um, kind of like life don't talk about death but then actually my roots are really we deal with it face on is some of that faith-based so i say it's faith-based and it's culturally based as well so you find that across like sikhism hinduism Uh, i think in hinduism they burn the body so actually amongst like firewood quite in an open fire so i think there is that kind of spirituality i suppose so it could be religious and maybe we've lost our way yeah i think that's that also is a a, an issue here increasingly people just don't generally appear to have faith as much in this country Mm, mm. and that one of the key areas that possibly demonstrates itself is in our lack of ability to think about what death might be if you don't have the idea that or the belief that there might be something after it which there used to be yeah Yeah. and it goes back a little bit I think certainly within the people I've chatted to it goes back a little bit to what you said earlier about what if you can catch death like if you say it it'll happen like we're all magical which we are not Mm -hmm. and there's that fear wrapped up in it that you could jinx something which is quite silly mm-hmm. sorry it's very silly do you remember when people used to do that thing they used to bring in work and not say they couldn't come in because their nan had died and i would say but your nan will die now yes. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous but because i was raised a catholic right you're punished for bad things yeah, and totally. therefore that was what i thought would happen yeah 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 totally You've become passionate about encouraging conversation about cancer and death, particularly within the BAME communities. Can you tell us a little bit more about why and how you're starting those conversations? Well, for me, I think let's let's start with, I don't know, like when I got the diagnosis, for instance, I have stage four lung cancer, which that was what that was an obstacle for me. There's a lot of stigma around lung cancer. Um, 
it's the third most common, but generally it's, it seems like it's almost like that's your fault, cancer. Like everyone else, like mm. if you get breast positive cancer, it's like, oh, okay. But then when it comes to lung cancer, it's like, do you smoke? And you're like, really? You've not even asked me about anything else. Like I, I got diagnosed at the age of 29, had a few cigarettes in my early 20s. But the point is, is like it's such a multifaceted disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the campaigns say heavily about smoking and such, but 28% of cases are not directly related to smoking. There are other factors involved. And you're right, that isn't something that's broadcast. That's not no. something we really hear about. Yeah, obviously that's not, you know, what how things are promoted because obviously people want to put as many people off smoking. But the point is, is that it comes across as like, oh, you know, that's your fault. Okay, poor you. Let's put you in your little box and then leave it there. And I was like, no, that's not fair. Like, I need to, you know, talk a bit more about lung cancer because it just it's completely underfunded. That's probably related, I imagine. But yeah, because it's taboo. Yeah. So that was one thing. And then another thing, obviously, it's taboo in my community as well. So I'm British Pakistani. And then I found that when I started speaking about my experiences, I couldn't see any people of colour whatsoever kind of writing or blogging or you know talking about cancer openly it's been a lot of hard work but I've finally found like a bit of a network and um, so I collaborated with a woman called Leanne Perrow she's been doing some fantastic things there's a project called Black Women Rising that she started so she started collecting stories from the black community Mm -hmm. Um, she's based out of Peckham and then from there, like, we've just really slowly started meeting people, black and Asian. And the common theme is, again, we're not speaking about health or illness, let alone cancer in our communities. And I'm, and then I'm like, I'm very inquisitive. So I'm like, well, why? Why is this? So I started writing and blogging about my experiences. And what's come from it is that is that there's, there's again, a few different kind of reasons, you know, being... Second generation immigrant, like, so obviously a daughter to two immigrants, I think there's been this kind of conditioning to kind of put your head down and work hard and not speak openly about any kind of ailments or anything negative that's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. You're kind of always putting up a front. And then on top of that, within our mindsets and our communities, there's honour, shame not discussing things in case that's like letting the family down. So I've still got relatives in Pakistan. We're like, oh, don't worry, we won't tell anyone. And you're like, Ooh, that, I never yeah. asked you to not tell anyone. I actually want, want you to tell your, uh, you know, uncle so-and-so or cousin so-and-so that I'm going through a hard time. I just think there's nothing to hide. Like, yeah, where's the shame in being ill? Yeah. I suppose the way to put it out there is it's just bad news, so let's not talk about the bad news. Okay. We have to put up our best side. And, uh, you know, I think it comes from everybody these days, especially with social media. You want to put your best side. You don't put your bad angle out. Don't put, a bit don't of put up and... those photos of you eating trifle with your hands and crying. Don't no. put them on Instagram, no. No, look in the end of the pot. <laughs> totally. see that. Oh, you had a pot. I had like a bowl. A bowl uh, of yeah. trifle. You're facing it. Yeah. No one wants to see that. They want to see the trifle with a you know, carefully placed spoon next to it. Uh-huh. And everything's all just pretty. But, you know, in our community, there's a saying, what will they think? And everything's just like, what would they think? And it's like, who are they? Who are these people that you speak of? Yeah, like, who are they? This constant fear, this constant like uh, voice in the back of your head, like, what would they think? And then death, obviously, again, that's a complete taboo. And I had to, it's, it's, it's selfish. It's, it's something I have to accept that on a daily basis. It doesn't go away, that kind of like teetering on the edge, you know, kind of having one foot in death, one foot out, um, dealing with uncertainty as well. So I think it's actually been personally healing for me to come here and openly talk about death. I think we all should. And what has the reaction been within the community when you've been reaching out? What has the reaction back to you been? I think so far it's just like, wow, I can't believe you're doing this, first of all. 
everyone keeps saying how brave I am and I'm like I'm not brave I, I just really want to get talking about these things like this is this is decades and decades of not talking about our problems and feeling ashamed and I think shame is such a dangerous emotion just to hold upon yourself and you can really beat yourself up over it I think for me is to break that shame break the taboos that was the whole kind of reason really and as long as it serves me and helps me I will continue to talk and blog and share my experiences and and I've created a network you know I've started a BAME cancer support group on Facebook and it's just it's great it's the stories are fantastic and it's just been great to share the space and get instant help for myself and others that's amazing you mentioned earlier that with some people they've abandoned you Hannah and I had a little chat about some questions we wanted to ask you and Hannah and I had the same idea on this one which is there must be an aspect where you end up managing other people's feelings as they're reacting because they're sad or shocked about what's happening to you has that been a thing yeah so you you almost have to comfort others yeah yeah I when my mum told me she had cancer and I said right how we gonna how we gonna deal with this and she said oh wow you're like the sixth person I've told and you're the only person who didn't burst into tears. That seemed to me that crying just gave her another problem to deal with. I don't know, but that seemed like how it was for me. We all have egos, right? So when you speak to somebody and give them news, you just don't know how they're going to take it. They're either, like, I don't know, so say you've experienced cancer in your family, right? But then you're going to be different to somebody who's not experienced yeah. it. And that's, I think that's what, that's what happens. Everyone takes the news so differently, but... It shouldn't have to take life-changing news for you to have the tools to deal with that. You can kind of, like, deal with these taboo subjects without having to deal with them the hard way. And I think death is one of them. I'm not saying make it your life's work. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone has to be a specialist in, you know, (laughs) in death or, you know, taboo subjects. But the point is, is that actually listening before, oh, no, 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 we can't talk, you know, and it's just like shutting off the conversation before it happens and not letting it in. I think being inquisitive can be one of the most helpful things you can Is there a right thing to say then, do you think? No, 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 there isn't. And that's okay as well. And if you don't have the right thing to say, just say, I don't have anything to say. But acknowledge it. Don't run away. (laughs) I think that's the point. And don't, you know, run away because you could get something out of that experience and it can help you understand one of the most certain things that are going to happen, which is you're going to die. That's, again, sounds really morbid. It's, I'm so no, much fun. It's true. No, it's it's true. true. It's, it is true. And you shouldn't have to apologise for saying it. People are quite glib, aren't they? And you can say, well, we're all dying. But, that, I mean, that's... Mm. That is also true. That is an actual fact. We yeah. are all... It is going to come to all of us. It's yeah. just... But it's, it's so simple, the, the you know, the sentence. But then it's like, oh, my God. You yeah. know, when you say it or you say it back, even I, you know, if I hear myself, I'm like, did I just say that, <laughs> you know, out loud? But I, th- I think we're, we live in this age now where these taboo subjects are becoming a bit more acceptable and we are, like, trying to decom- decompress and bring everything down a notch because, you know, we're all anxious and really, really busy and there's a lot going on. If we can deal with all these death, dying, yeah. cancer, all these kind of things, you know, we can just plod along a little bit easier. It's so weird that we're so uncomfortable about talking about death because we are literally surrounded by it. In popular culture, there's always people who who kind of just disposed of really quickly. Obviously, on the news, there's a lot of tragedy in the world. There's a lot of death happening on a daily basis across the globe. Yet it's that removal that means we don't want to think about it. What do you wish you had known or spoken about before you were forced to have these conversations? 
I suppose any conversation. I think I really didn't, you know, yeah. I really did not have many conversations about death. I mean, like, I've had people really close to me die. But again, like, it's, you know, curtains drawn, done, dusted. And I think my personal experience with grief as well is quite different. It's like I always kind of memorise people. I don't actually... That's something I'm working on. I don't think I've openly grieved for loved ones that have actually died in the last kind of like five to ten years. And through learning, you know, about death and dying and et cetera, I've been able to articulate my thoughts and realise what I've been going through and how I've been dealing with grief over the years. Because I don't think you you don't get over grief. You don't get over someone dying. You almost carry that with you. And it kind of it changes. It go, it kind of dials down a notch, I would say, it, in terms of like how grief can overtake you because you know it can be uncontrollable there's no right way to grieve but over the years it just goes down a notch and then things remind you of that loved mm. one but it, it's not so immediate it's not as intense it it's loses not as intense. A bit of intensity yeah but yeah I suppose I wish I had just day-to-day conversations about death I wish it was laced amongst how's your holiday I don't know you can be a bit more natural you'd be like oh actually you know what my holiday was was good oh by the way my auntie died. I found out some crazy news. Let's talk about this. Oh. Hey, Hannah, what are you doing on Sunday, the 21st of July? I am going to be in the fair city of Canterbury. Canterbury? In, I know, all the way in Kent. We will be holding an in-conversation event at the Marlowe Theatre as part of Canterbury Comedy Festival, and we have some great guests. Too right we do. We've got Kemar Bob, and we've got the Scummy Mummies. If you want to find out more, go to our website, www.standardissuepodcast.com. And we can promise you that you may well laugh your tits off. Thunk. (laughs) (laughs) When we did the panel before, you were talking about how you had PTSD and you'd had some some CBT and you'd had some some help to get through that was that on the NHS or was that something you did privately so yeah that again is another conversation so I had to go private because the wait was too long and I really needed help at that point with the cancer diagnosis obviously the oncologists are looking to fix you physically but actually a big challenge with cancer is the mental Mm. um you know the mental battle so you know they say you're gonna fight this you're gonna do great and i'm like physically i'm great you know they've given me some pills and i'm you know physically they can do everything and the oncology world fascinates me how far we've come and you know they're talking about it just being a chronic illness now like you know it's, it's obviously on the rise but again, like, I think they're just doing so much work that we are getting to that point where you can live. And obviously, I've already outlived my six to 12 month prognosis. It was the mental work. So I was just not mentally prepared for the diagnosis. And I was a highly functioning anxious person before anyway. Didn't realise that, obviously, because I was just like everybody else walking around doing my thing, just running two businesses at a time, grinding in my 20s, you know, doing what you got to do. So I just took it really badly because so much was at stake. And obviously, I, I recommend therapy to anybody. And I, that's another thing that's taboo is like having therapy. It's mm. like, oh, yeah, but, you know, no, it's just a short course. Or, you know, I think therapy is one of the best things I ever did. I actually feel better mentally after my diagnosis than I was before. Like, I'm more at peace. Yeah. You should have the best quality of life while you're alive. And it doesn't matter whether there is a limit on the length of that time that you will be alive Mm. so that you've actually made the effort to put yourself in you know maybe 
in the best place that you can be. And that the way that you did that was by sorting out your head. I think that's fantastic because I think that's the bit that gets left behind on a lot of things. It's still with this. It really deal is. Deal with the lungs, deal with the, but then the, the mind physical. is left. Yeah. But, and, 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 but what's so sad and what I found obviously you know, being work working through the NHS because I had no interactions really with the with the healthcare system. Always appreciated it. Had a few run-ins with A and E, but then to obviously see it so closely, um, there's just so many failings, especially putting the connection with your mental health and your physical health. Mm. It just the the dots don't add up with you know when you get cancer. I don't I don't think the mental support is there straight away. I mean. The follow-up is not quite there. They offer counselling and things like that, but sometimes, like, so my symptoms were missed for panic disorder and having panic attacks, for instance. They were like, oh, it's not a side effect to the drugs that you're on because you're on this cocktail of drugs to save your life. And I was really displaying physical symptoms. Like, you know, I had tingling in my hands and feet, which is one of the first signs of panic attacks or panic disorder, essentially. But all these things got missed to the point where I had to self... I had to ring my GP and self-diagnose and say, look, I need, I need help here. I've, I've got, you know, post-traumatic stress or something. Something's not right. And then she further relayed saying, you're actually suffering with panic disorder. Um, and then, you know, recommended the right, you know, the right drugs, et cetera, the right SSRIs and stuff. Uh, because why wouldn't you be suffering with panic disorder? Yeah. Why wouldn't you mm. have PTSD or something? That is going to be a shock to anyone's mental system, yeah. your emotional system. But unfortunately, it's down to the patient to kind of really integrate the mm. the healthcare to create your own healthcare so that's plan. Something essentially, that could be improved. That is something, and but the, and then there's no guarantee that you're going to get the help straight away yeah. because I think I mean although I'm stage four, so someone like myself would be fast tracked. Someone else who maybe has long term bipolar, you'd have a course of six to eight sessions, and then you might be left to it. You'd be on medication, but then there's where's the follow up, and it's like a constant thing, like long-term mental health care there's a big issue there just people getting the right help it's just it's just not there did your priority shift when you got your prognosis has stuff changed for you essentially I was dying when I got I got diagnosed in A&E so it wasn't a pretty scene I had a superior vena cava obstruction so main artery was being blocked by a tumor essentially so it wasn't pretty when I got diagnosed and so I was dying. And now all that comes up is your loved ones. That's all you can think about. That's all I can say. The things that you own, you know, the, the businesses I ran, um, anything, all the achievements, or, you know, anything like that just did not matter anymore. It was just the people that I loved. Yeah, It really was. And I was just grateful that, you know, I come from a family that loves me. I have friends that love me. And that is truly all that matters, is that having just a great support network, I, I, cannot, I cannot be more thankful it's so cheesy, but it's so true. It's not cheesy. Yeah, and I think you forget that when you put it back to the basics, you know, just like that's all that matters really and truly on this earth is just, you know, t- to love and to be loved back. It's just one of the best feelings in the world. And that's all you've got. Honestly, just, you can get the titles, you can get the the awards, the, whatever whatever you, you, you're looking for in this world you can get stuck in the rat race or the property ladder or chasing the next best thing you know we've been taught to have the latest clothes and over the years but really and truly just having a family or, or friends or just a lovely cat and, yeah. and, and your cat loving your back if, if your cat is what you've got that's great you're doing great you know oh i hope yeah. clark is listening <laughs> <laughs> One question I did want to ask you, actually, and it's interesting because you just touched on possessions not meaning anything. 
but part of this series to, is to encourage people to actually do a bit of death admin and to write a will. Mm. And I think for some people, you probably look at it and go, well, I don't really have anything to leave. But there'll be sentimental things mm. that you want to pass on to someone. Mm. Is there anything that you've decided that you would like to hand down as, as your legacy, I suppose, for want of a better word? What's been unique about my situation is that I can't, I'm, I'm incredibly young, so I don't actually really own anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got like an iPhone. Okay, can I have it? No, I'm <laughs> it might get nicked anyway on the way over. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't actually have many like possessions. I've never been. I don't know. I went backpacking in my early twenties. So I think from there, I've always had like this minimal. Like I don't have a lot of things. I just mm-hmm. never have. I've always been this kind of minimalist. You know, even if you come to my restaurant, it's quite minimalist uh, decor. Like I just that's always how my mind's been. So I don't have a lot left, and I haven't written my will before you ask me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's on the, it's on the uh, death admin checklist, definitely. Yeah. But I think where I'm at at the moment, I'm like, that's not a priority in my case to write a will straight away. But in someone else's case, obviously, if you're property owners and things like that, it ties in with your loved ones. You want to make it as easy as possible for them. And that will give you peace of mind. So I will definitely be writing a will, just not today. It is important just to kind of alleviate the stress because I can I can see how families can crumble that the aftermath of you not signing on the dotted line or because it just go it can go on for years some of this stuff yeah. like it really can and it's that whole thing of us not talking or thinking about it as it as it made you feel a responsibility do you recognise that in in the people you care about now yeah and I'm really up for just talking more about it and I've had that chat with my family now and my friends and I'm like look every now and then I'm going to pr- I'm going to pop the D word into conversation. Like just Not just like on the fly, but natural. Like if something has crossed my mind or is concerning me, I'm going to express it. Like I'm not going to be ashamed to talk about it or or feel like I'm being ridiculous. It's like it is what it is. I have stage four cancer. You know, It's kind of a bit like being you get to do the things that old people, you know, old people just say what they think and people go, oh, they're old. And that's fine. You can just say what you like. I rang my insurance company, right? They were like, oh, what's your occupation? Because obviously my, my status has changed. And I was like, oh, you know, so I'm like out of the workforce. Like I'm not self-employed anymore. And they were like, so you're retired? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I'm retired. Yeah. So I've got a disabled badge, for real. So I can get anywhere now. And uh, yeah, I'm medically retired. Medically retired? Have that at the age of 30. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned you have, uh, is it two restaurants? I did. I had to close one after the diagnosis because uh-huh. it was just, it was a startup. So it was just like it needed time and it needed money to to be, to be put into it. But obviously I didn't have any energies. I had to concentrate on my health. So I had to make the kind of executive decision to to close the uh, the new business. But I have my family restaurant, uh, Masala Wala in South London. And where can people find out more about Masala Wala? Masalawalacafe.co.uk. There you go. Plug there. Lovely stuff. And Simon, where can people find you? So um, I've kind of had to take a step back from the restaurant. I'm definitely involved with it still, but I actually started writing. So I'm on koreancancer.com on all social handles. I'm at koreancancer. So from the title, you can imagine I talk about food and living with the cancer and whatever the hell I like. (laughs) Sounds good. And if you could give one bit of advice to people listening who are thinking, yeah, she's right we need to start talking about this. How do you start a conversation about death? Oh, God, that's a good question, actually, because it's something I'm trying to still break the chains on. Um, I'd say just be casual about it. If it just comes to your mind, 
it comes down to how you feel. If you feel comfortable about it, share, you know, just share. Start with your loved ones, for instance. They are your nearest and dearest. So really try and open up the conversation and don't be afraid. And I think you'll be surprised at how people react as well. So if you seem comfortable with it, they will open up. Um, and the more you talk about it, the easier it will get. Like the first conversation will be awkward. And if it's too awkward, just pull away. It's fine. And try again. But it's quite liberating. And it's been really, really healing for me to just be complete blah, blah, mouth about anything. Just, you know, I'm just being honest and that's come through my personal experience. It's unfortunate, but we should all be talking about it regardless of a terminal diagnosis or not. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us. Oh, thanks so much. Really loved it. I love chatting to you girls. Thanks for listening. If it's got you thinking about how and where you would like to be cared for at the end of your life, choosing the funeral you'd like, the legacy you want to leave behind, or who you want to remember in your will, Macmillan has information and resources to support the conversation and help you have it. Visit macmillan.org forward slash let's talk about death to help start your conversation. Standard issue for all women.